the Roy Thorne Solicitors Divorce Podcast with me, your host, Neil Denny. The Divorce Podcast is designed for those who are thinking about or going through divorce or separation. Please note that whenever we talk about marriage or divorce, we're talking about civil partnerships and dissolution of civil partnerships as well. The information that we discuss on this podcast is nothing more than information and cannot be taken as specific legal advice. You can get in touch with us at The Divorce Podcast by using the email address divorcepodcast at roythorns.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Roy Thorns Divorce Podcast. This episode we're calling Divorce, What Is It and How Do I Get One? And we're just going to be unpacking the, if you like, the technical process of applying to the court for a divorce or for a uh, dissolution uh, and uh, what those stages are. I've got my colleague John Boone uh, with me once again to help me explain this. Good afternoon, John. Afternoon, Neil. Uh, so, John, tell us about the uh, the, the stages. Uh, we're imagining a situation where uh, somebody has, uh, they've instructed solicitors and they're ready to formalise a separation and start bringing the, uh, the marriage to an end. So they're going to apply for their divorce or, or their dissolution. What, what is the divorce? So the divorce is the legal process of bringing the marriage to an end. And it's important to emphasize that when we're talking about divorce, that is an entirely separate process from separating your your joint finances, from, from dealing what happens with the joint. Those are separate processes uh, and they are dealt with under separate proceedings uh, if it gets to that point. So when we're talking about divorce, we are talking simply about the legal process of ending the marriage or civil partnership so it's not the resolution of the finances it's not the resolution of any uh, disputes there may be about the children uh, i sometimes talk to clients about there being if you like twin track approaches so the 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 divorce uh, train can leave its station um, and, and maybe you haven't even started yet on the financial matters or, or the children matters um, but, but the divorce can start making progress uh, towards uh, uh, it's uh, it, it, it's final resolution, uh, and and the other processes can catch up. That, that's a fair comment, isn't it? I, I think it is, and it's important to emphasise. And we'll come on to this in in a bit more detail later on. The divorce process it is not a quick process. It, it it used to take around three to six months from start to finish, mm. for various reasons, and primarily severe backlogs at the moment with the divorce units. Mm. The divorce process from start to finish is at the moment, at the time of recording, taking around nine to 12 months from start to finish. So it is important to to get that process started. Once the decision's been made that this needs to happen or is this is going to happen, it's important to get the process started because otherwise it could lead to difficulties further down the line. You may resolve the finances, you may resolve the issues concerning the children, but find that the divorce is struggling to catch up. So I think the sooner, once that decision has been made, the, the sooner that divorce process has started, the better because of the backlogs at the court at present. Yes. And and although the divorce uh, process may have started, we can always slow that down or we can pause that altogether whilst the other processes, the finances, the children matters, or they play catch up, uh, if you like. And we'll, we'll have a, a chat later on about why that's important in relation to uh, financial orders. So what do I need in order to apply for a divorce? 
So you will need uh, to get down to, to the bare bones. You will need the the marriage or civil partnership certificate. The original of that is filed with the court, unless you are uh, dealing with it online, in which case a copy is sufficient. Um, and and you need to uh, prepare what's called a petition for divorce, or I think to to use the, the correct technical term now, it's an application for a matrimonial order, but. In order to complete that document, you need to decide uh, one, which one of the five facts you are seeking to rely on when you're petitioning for divorce. And I think it's important that you seek to agree with uh, your spouse or civil partner via your respective lawyers if necessary on which of those facts you're, you're seeking to rely um, ideally, the form and the content of any petition for divorce should be agreed in advance so as to avoid any unnecessary uh, delay or bitterness between the parties. Um, so, so those those facts for the, the the divorce, the reasons why the marriage has broken down. Um, if we just take a couple of moments just to run through this, because some of them are self-explanatory and uh, some of them need a, a bit of unpacking. There's there's adultery. Uh, tell us about adultery. So adultery, uh, and while this may seem rather antiquated, this is is the position as as per the legislation. Adultery is between a man or a woman. If a woman has an affair with another woman, if a man has an affair with another man, uh, then that is not adultery for the purposes of the Matrimonial Causes Act. And the ground of adultery is also not available uh, in dissolution of civil partnerships so adultery is is sexual relations between a man and a, a woman one of whom is married uh, so a, adultery is a, a, quite a narrow definition um, just just being seen at the cinema together isn't isn't going to cut it uh, uh, there needs to be that that sexual relationship uh, between the man and the woman uh, we then have unreasonable behavior which is uh, it's got quite a bit of coverage in the press for the last couple of years because unreasonable behavior can be very widely defined can't it it can be and and I think the uh the take home that, that came out of, of, of the recent case of, of Owens with regard to unreasonable behaviour. It is not the behaviour itself that has to be unreasonable. It's 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 the behaviour is such that you cannot reasonably be expected to live with, with the person who is who is uh, behaving in in that way. Um, and so uh, that behaviour will be fact specific it will depend on the circumstances of, of, of the case on a, on a practical level um, and because we are in a fault-based system uh, at, at the moment no fault divorce uh, although there's been a great deal of publicity and even a, a, a legislation uh, put forward in Parliament that does not look like it is it is going to become law anytime soon uh, and so we have a fault-based system uh, uh, and we could have a couple that have decided between themselves that the marriage isn't working uh, and that they wish to divorce. They may not want to wait until two years have elapsed since their separation uh, to get divorced. We'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, and so what can happen is that a couple can agree that one of them will be the petitioner, one of them will blame the other for the breakdown of the marriage because of their behaviour. 
And so the couple will seek to agree between themselves or between their lawyers some fairly mild anodyne reasons uh, why the marriage is broken down. And those will be put in a petition for divorce and, and the petition will proceed on an undefended basis from there on. Uh, it's not necessary, uh, and actually this is in the in the family law protocol, which is a set of, 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 of guidelines we, we like to, to follow. They're not rules as such. It's, it's encouraged that, that, that the allegations in a behaviour-based petition are not numerous. You know, we're not mm. talking about 10, 15... We don't need pages of allegations. No. no. Uh, and so it's, it's very important and going back to what I said at the start Neil, what we're trying to do if the couple have made a decision to, to get divorced what we're looking at is, is using that divorce process as a means to an end and so it's about putting something in the petition that yes articulates to the court that the marriage is broken down and this is why but not causing unnecessary distress or or bitterness between the parties and so with a, with a behavior based petition and those are I would say probably the, the, the most common uh, petition that I I'm asked to, to prepare I agree yeah. um, that those allegations are kept mild and and are, uh, and the aim being that it is sufficient to prove to the court the marriage had broken down but but shouldn't go beyond that. And of course, we're strongly encouraged, aren't we, to uh, send a draft of the allegations of unreasonable behaviour to the person who's going to receive uh, the, these allegations before it's filed at court. I, I always explain to my clients that when I'm drafting those uh, allegations in those circumstances, my my goal is to elicit nothing more than a shrug from the person who's receiving those allegations and reading them for the first time, you know, almost as if to say, is, is that it? Um, but, but there's a bit of a balance there to, to get that response from the person who's receiving the divorce petition. And at the same time, demonstrating to a, a district judge when it comes to the decree nisi stage that there's, there's enough here uh, within the unreasonable behaviour. But, but that still doesn't mean that we need to be filing scandalous details or uh, lists of, uh, of allegations. I, typically, I find that three or four fairly short, bland, as you say, anodyne paragraphs uh, suits the purpose. And I think it's important to emphasise as well, and, and I have this conversation quite often with clients, ordinarily, unless there are really exceptional circumstances in play, the reason for the breakdown of, of, of the marriage should not impact on what happens regarding the finances or regarding the children. Again, it's very much a means to an end, and so it's important not to spend too much time and money arguing about who is petitioning and on what basis. So we've looked at adultery, we've looked at uh, this uh, this uh, unreasonable behaviour, ground for divorce. Uh, tell us about two years separation. Yes, so if the parties have been separated, uh, and separation can take many different forms, they don't have to fit necessarily to have physically separated, i.e moved into different properties. You can have agreed to separate and be leading largely separate lives, in, albeit under the same roof. But from that date of separation, once two years has elapsed, as long as both parties agree to proceed with the divorce, then a petition can be presented by either party 
on the basis of two years separation. There will still be a petitioner, the person presenting the petition, mm -hmm. and a respondent, the person receiving the petition. But no blame is 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 put forward as to who is responsible for the breakdown of the marriage. The petition will merely record the fact that the party separated on a date and that two years of a more two years or more have elapsed from that date and the parties believe that their marriage is irretrievably broken down as a result. And so as long as both parties cooperate with that process, and it's important to emphasize that the respondent in those proceedings must complete the acknowledgement of service and confirm that they consent mm -hmm. to a decree being granted on the basis of two year separation. As long as both parties cooperate, that is the first of the no fault grounds mm -hmm. uh, for a divorce. It doesn't make the process any more quick. Um, it doesn't make the process any cheaper, but it is a way of getting a divorce without having to blame the other. Uh, and then if you can't agree on the two-year separation, we then have this other ground of five-year separation. Uh, so living separate and apart for five years. Uh, and you can get a divorce on that basis, even if the receiving party, the respondent, doesn't consent to the divorce. Now, in, in my experience, again, I, I, I don't see couples embarking on a five-year separation typically, uh, but rather I, I tend to use this ground where, where the, the couple have just found themselves you know oh, oh, look we, we, we've now been separated for more than five years and so that just uh, that that is there and, and provides a, a a rather straightforward process to get a divorce by doesn't it yes and 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 i have been contacted by by clients who have they have separated many more than five years ago mm. I've, I've recently concluded a divorce with a couple have been separated for for around 10 years and had never got round to divorcing and, yes. and 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 my client had, had had reached conclusion that it's about time that we got divorced and so that's where that ground tends I, to come in i always wonder what the rush is when they're, <laughs> when they're 10 years down the line uh so so we, we've looked at um adultery unreasonable behavior two years separation both parties consent five years separation without consent and then there's this ground of desertion do you want to talk about desertion we, we rarely I, I can't think i've ever filed a desertion uh, and neither have i neil um and so i i tend to to, to skirt over it in, in my consultations with, with clients because it hardly ever applies but, but with desertion you're looking at a situation whereby uh, the, the other party has 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 walked out and and has not been heard from again um, and and the period is is two years uh, in order to qualify to, to present that petition. But uh, uh, like you, Neil, I, I've never uh, in my uh, ten years of qualified practice had uh, presented a desertion petition. So, so I don't think we need to say any more than that on the matter. <laughs> okay. So uh, so so the divorce then uh, you need the, uh, the 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 marriage certificate. You need to determine which one of these uh, grounds of divorce you are going to be applying on. the The divorce application, the petition, is then sent to the court. What happens to it then? So once it is sent to the court, uh, and when we say court, um, we have a centralised system now where there are a number. Uh, around eight, I believe, at the last count, uh, regional divorce units, divorce centres. So you will send it to your uh, local divorce centre. Uh, and there, uh, after I'm afraid a bit of a wait, uh, the proceedings will be issued. And so the paperwork will be stamped, uh, allotted a case number, 
uh, it will then be forwarded to the other party or if you've specified in the petition that it is to be sent to their solicitors then to their solicitors mm-hmm. uh, and they will receive the the paperwork uh, al- the issued paperwork along with an acknowledgement of service which is a document that the respondent needs to complete in order for the divorce to proceed the petitioner will receive a separate notification from the divorce unit confirming that the petition has been issued and on what date so the acknowledgement of service the respondent receives that together with his or her copy of the divorce application uh, they then complete that uh, and they return it to the court and that document confirms that two things it seems to me that they they've received the papers so they know they're being divorced uh, and secondly it there's a space there isn't it for, for them to either consent to the two-year separation if that's what it is um, there's a distinction between adultery and unreasonable behavior isn't there so if if the divorce is on the basis of uh, uh, adultery the question that they have to answer is do they intend to uh, sorry do do I've, I've do, you what the word the is. do you admit adultery? the alleged adultery yes. that's right uh, the the wording on unreasonable behaviour is slightly different, isn't it? And this is something that us, uh, us solicitors uh, use quite frequently because if the divorce petition is unreasonable behaviour, then all that the acknowledgement has to say is whether or not you intend to defend the allegations of unreasonable behaviour. So this gives a slightly different flavour to, to the process, doesn't it? Because, tell us about it, the, the adultery you have to... The adultery, you you have to admit the adultery alleged in a petition for that petition to proceed. Otherwise, the petitioner is left in a position where the adultery is denied that they need to somehow prove the adultery, which is difficult, let's say. But with a behaviour-based petition, as you say, Neil, you're being asked whether you defend the proceedings. And the implication being that you can allow the proceedings to go forward on an undefended basis because you accept that the marriage has broken down irretrievably but you can state in that acknowledgement and 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 I've done it frequently on behalf of my clients you can state that you the respondent do not accept that all of or any of the allegations featured in the petition are true and if they are relied on in any other proceedings such as financial claims or children that you will respond in more detail to those allegations um, and that sounds a little bit contrived but what the court is, is really looking for is 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 whether a the respondent has received the proceedings and b whether they are seeking to defend them that's all that the court is looking for is confirmation that the, the party's marriage has broken down and the proceedings can can move forward uh, and so frequently that that's what we find ourselves saying in an acknowledgement of service. Mm. And there's, there's a good point there, it seems to me, John, in that the, the court is looking to uh, uh, move the divorce process through, as you say, on a paperwork basis in a straightforward fashion. I think sometimes there is often a misperception that the the disagreement, the 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 struggle or, or, or the conflict when it comes to family breakdown is, is, is around the divorce itself. And, and Although that's an important technical aspect of the process, the reality is that that most of the arguments are in relation to the financial matters and the children matters themselves. Absolutely, and and this is why I advise my clients that although it may not make for pleasant reading uh, often to to receive a petition for divorce in which your behaviour is blamed for the breakdown of the marriage, 
ultimately as long as those allegations are are not so serious that they are, are going to cause difficulties um in, in other aspects the, by far the most cost effective and the most straightforward way of dealing with the matter is to make it clear those allegations aren't agreed you don't accept that they are true or or, or that it was your behaviour that led to the breakdown of the marriage but that you accept the marriage is broken down someone had to present a petition mm. and that on that basis you'll allow the, the, the proceedings to move forward so let's assume that the person receiving the uh, divorce uh, application, the petition, let's call them the respondent, they've returned the acknowledgement of service to the court, properly completed. Uh, we're not going to talk in this podcast about what happens if my husband, my wife, my partner doesn't return it. There, there are steps that your solicitor can take, but that, that's probably another conversation. So the, the respondent has returned the acknowledgement of service to the court. The court then send that out to the petitioner, the person who applied for the divorce. What happens next? So the petitioner at that stage will need to complete uh, two documents. One is a statement in support of the petition. And we're not talking about a detailed witness statement or anything like that. It's a, a prescribed form in which effectively you are saying to the court that you wish to proceed with your divorce application. You are, are given the opportunity to uh, highlight any uh, errors or, or, or matters in the correcting in the original paperwork um, you ordinarily would then exhibit as proof that the respondent has received the paperwork and, and is allowing it to proceed you would exhibit the acknowledgement of service uh, and you would sign a statement of truth saying that the contents of, 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 of your petition are, are, are true uh, and that you wish to proceed to, to the next stage uh, and alongside that, you also need to complete an, a, an application for the decree in ISI or conditional order in, in civil uh, partnership dissolution proceedings. Uh, and that's a, a single-sided uh, form that, that you just need to, to sign and fill out the case details on. And, th and that is then filed with the court. It's a, it's a relatively straightforward process, the application for decree in ISI. Which then, of course, makes it difficult to explain why the delay from sending in that relatively straightforward application statement to the court and the delay between that and getting the actual pronouncement of the decree in ISI or the conditional order at the moment is taken so very long. Yes, and, and, and unfortunately... The, the gap between filing the application for decree NISI and receiving the certificate of entitlement to a decree, the document which confirms that the court is satisfied with all of the paperwork and has set a date uh, at some point in the next few weeks of the pronouncement of the decree NISI, the gap between those two stages it can be weeks or, or, or even months at mm. present and it, and it's immensely frustrating because the, the decree NISI stage is, is, is the stage where if you have agreed a financial remedy order that is the earliest stage that that can be submitted to the court for approval and so the decree NISI is a very important date mm. uh, in in the process and, and unfortunately there is an, uh, an ever increasing it seems gap between uh, applying for that decree nice and, and, and having the date um, 
So it, it, it's important to, to, where possible, turn around that paperwork as quickly as you can from receipt of the acknowledgement of service to lodging the application to save as much time as possible. Yes, because we spoke at the start of this episode, didn't we, about, if you like, that twin-track process or three-track tra- uh, process where you've got the divorce, which is one process, uh, and then you've got the finance and the children uh, matters. And we are saying that you could fast-forward or you could progress one of those processes and then pause it at some stage. So what you're saying is get the divorce process itself up to decree nisi pronouncement or decree nisi. Uh, I say as soon as possible within that six to uh, eight eight months that it might typically take, and then once you've got decree nisi, you can just pause the uh, uh, divorce until the financial resolution has caught up. And the reason for that is because the court cannot, in fact, approve an agreed financial settlement or order until decree nice has been pronounced. Yes, and that financial settlement or order um, is then not enforceable until the decree absolute is is pronounced. Uh, But we always encourage, or or it is usual, shall we say, for the divorce, as you say, Neil, to to pause at the decree nice stage. There is a natural pause in the process in any event the earliest date that you can apply for the decree absolute is six weeks and one day after the decree nisi. Mm. Um, but because uh, the uh, approval of the consent order, even if you were to submit it on the day that the decree nisi is pronounced, you will still be looking at a good two to three months, mm. possibly more, before your financial order is approved. And so the gap between applying for the uh, between the pronouncement of the decree nisi and the application for decree absolute in practice is a bit longer. Uh, and, and, and and what needs to be done to convert a decree nisi to a decree absolute? So the application for decree absolute is actually quite straightforward. And I say quite straightforward. It's still very important that, that these documents are completed correctly and, and it can lead to even more delays if, if, if paperwork isn't completed directly. And a lot of paperwork in my experience, has been returned uh, by the courts if uh, petitions, for example, an application for decree nice on the basis that a litigant in person hasn't completed the paperwork correctly. But it's a relatively straightforward application in which you complete uh, the prescribed form and, and state and state that you are asking the courts for to make the decree nice eye and you need to put the date of the decree nice eye absolute or, or make the conditional order in, in civil partnership proceedings final. Um, I should point out that uh, that is on the assumption that you are applying for the decree absolute within 12 months Mm -hmm. of the date of the decree nisi. If you're applying after that date, there is a supplemental statement that you would need to file with the court alongside that, explaining the reasons for the delay uh, and also uh, confirming uh, a couple of matters. One that... uh, you have not resumed cohabitation since the date of the decree nisi uh, and that there has no, been no child born uh, to the female spouse yes. uh, since the date of the decree nisi. It often raises an eyebrow, doesn't it, when you're filling out that statement? It, it does. Uh, and there's a couple of extra wrinkles as well. If it's the person who has received the divorce petition, the respondent, if, uh, if the petitioner... 
doesn't apply for the decree absolute, then uh, the respondent can uh, do so themselves. But there, there, there are a few extra wrinkles there that uh, we'll be able to help you out on if you find yourself in that situation. Um, well, John, thank you very much for taking us through through that process. Um, who pays for the cost of the divorce? Because there's the court fee, as we speak, the court fee is £550. Um, you will have solicitor's fees if you're using solicitors to do the divorce for you. Do you pay for those yourself or does the respondent pay for them? Well, that's that's ultimately that is a decision for the court to make. But we, alongside agreeing who is petitioning on what basis, the, the other thing that, that we would encourage people to do is agree between themselves how the costs are going to be divided. Um, and so if that is agreed beforehand, that can be recorded in the paperwork and that will be then recorded in the in the documentation that the court subsequently issues. Uh, but ultimately, the petitioner can ask in the petition for divorce that the respondent pays the cost of those proceedings. The respondent can then the acknowledgement state whether they agree with that or, or, or if not, why not or what they are prepared to pay. Uh, and ultimately, that the court at the decree nicei stage would then decide, they decide. Uh, who pays the cost. In my experience, if a petitioner asks for, for, for costs, the court tends to make that order and any onus is then on the respondent to, to persuade the, the, the court to, to reverse that decision. But again, because the, the costs involved although not insignificant, are relatively small when compared with the potential costs of arguing over finances or, or children. It's really a matter that I would encourage parties to agree between themselves rather than get embroiled in litigation over that satellite issue. Mm. John, thank you very much. Uh, there's slightly different processes for judicial separation and annulment. We're not going to go into those uh, in this podcast. We might visit in the future, but the reality is that those situations are really uh, quite uh, infrequent. So uh, if you've got any questions, then by all means, get in touch with us. Uh, John, thank you very much for your time on this show, and I look forward to speaking with you on the next one. Thank you. This has been the Roy Thorns Divorce Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If we've raised any issues that you have any questions on, or if you have any comments, then please get in touch using the email address divorcepodcast at roythorns.co.uk. If this podcast has been helpful, please be sure to share it with your friends and your family. And if you could leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you're listening on, then that would be a fantastic help for us as well. We look forward to joining you on a future show. Thank you.